great job. I love this time of year. Um, well, we have, uh, we're starting a new series today, a Christmas series called Good Tidings. And as I was prepping and thinking about uh, what scripture to bring in this time of year, I was looking at uh, Luke's gospel. Uh, so Dr. Luke, he was a guy that Paul recruited on one of his missionary journeys, and Luke writes the gospel of Luke. And as I was looking across um, Luke's narrative of the Christmas story, um, the way he presents the material is through a series of announcements. Um, and so, uh, hence our series title, Good Tidings, right? Um, and so, one of the first announcements that, that Luke presents is the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist, that this uh, person will be born that's going to precede the coming of Messiah. And then we have the announcement of, to Mary about that she's going to conceive this child, who will be the Christ child, and then the announcement of the angels to the, to the shepherds, and then finally the announcement of the um, wise men. Uh, next week, just so you know, uh, Kenny is actually going to be preaching next week, so I'm excited for him to come and share. Am I right in saying that? He just, his eyeballs got kind of big back there for just a second. <laughs> like, we got the right Sunday, right? But anyhow, so um, I'm looking forward to him coming and sharing uh, with you all next week along these lines. Um, again, our, our series is called Good Tidings. We'll be looking at the first of the announcements uh, that is made. And so um, our scripture comes from Luke chapter 1. I'm going to ask if you would to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 13, 16 through 17. Again, this is the announcement that the angel makes to Zechariah about the birth of John the Baptist. Here we go, Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. You may be seated. Thank you so much. All right, so before we get to those verses, I want to kind of go back a little bit in the first chapter here and work our way toward what we just read. So let's jump back to Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. That begins the story of this angel visiting Zechariah. It says, verse 5, that in the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, Aaron being the priestly Jewish line, and her name was Elizabeth. So what we learn here in verse 5 is that both Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were from a priestly line. They were both from the Levitical priestly line. Elijah or Zechariah actually served as a priest in the temple. Um, and so basically we have two people, both from families of pastors, if you would. So verse 6, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So what we learn here in verse 6 is that not only were they both from this priestly line, did they both have a pastoral kind of family heritage, but they also both walked uh, in righteousness with regard to the statutes that God had given. They observed all the festivals. They observed all the sacrifices that they were supposed to make. And they also walked morally blamelessly before God. That is, they were a very moral people. It refers that, and that's what it means there by the commandments. Uh, verse 8. Now, while Zechariah was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, so he's at the temple, he's making sacrifices. It's his turn or his group's turn to come in and make sacrifices at the temple. Verse 9, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So there's some kind of little daily lottery, perhaps, that they would have made. Um, and so Zechariah's name comes up, and so he's the one, the lucky one, that gets to go inside of the temple and make these um, offerings on the incense altar. 
Um, he would go in, he would fire up the coals, get them really hot, and then he'd put the incense on that. It would result in a billowing smoke, and that billowing smoke would, present, would be a really fragrant offering that would fill the temple uh, building itself. Verse 10, so Zechariah goes to do this, verse 10, and outside the whole multitude of the people were praying. So Zechariah, he's in there in the temple by himself doing this, making this sacrifice on the altar of incense. And while he's administering the altar of incense, folks are outside, verse 11, there appeared to Zechariah an angel of the Lord. So Zechariah has a visitation, a miraculous angelic sighting. So while he's in there in the temple by himself making the sacrifice, it says that this angel appears standing right next to the altar of incense. It says standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now naturally, I mean, you have an angelic sighting, verse 12, naturally uh, that's met with some sort of um, degree of fear, of hesitation, of I'm not sure what's going on here. So Zechariah, it says, was troubled when he saw the angel and fear fell upon him. And then the angel speaks. The angel has an announcement to make to him, verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So apparently, this fellow Zechariah has been praying, has been asking God for a child. He and, he and uh, his wife Elizabeth have not had any children, and this is something they've always wanted in their lives, and so they've been asking God for this. Now, what makes this extra special, is uh, extra miraculous, is what we learn down in verse 18. Notice Zechariah's response to this announcement that he's going to have a baby. He says in verse 18, I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. So basically he's saying that you know, things don't work the way that they used to work. I'm just leaving it up to you all to sort out what he's talking about there. Nevertheless, Zechariah is told that he and Miss Elizabeth are going to have a baby. This raises a question. And the question is, why does Dr. Luke, when presenting the story of Jesus' life, why does he begin with the story of somebody else's birth instead of the birth of the Christ child? I, I thought that was a little bit peculiar. I don't know if that resonates with you, but I thought it was kind of odd that Luke would start the story about the birth narrative of Jesus with a story about somebody else's birth, somebody, the foretelling of somebody else's birth. Um, and so... Again, that's a little bit peculiar to me. I ask the question. It's like, well, why, why would he do that? Well, Luke goes on to explain to us why he starts this Christmas story, why he starts the birth narrative of Jesus with the story of John the Baptist. He says, verse 16, This son of yours, Zechariah, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Verse 17, key verse here. Not only will he turn many Jews to follow God, but also, verse 17, he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, again, Luke is writing to a Jewish audience. His, uh, people that received this had deep roots in Judaism. And so when they heard what Luke had just reported about what this angel tells Zechariah, they sat up. Uh, they got really excited. Um, and that, that he's saying that this one who's, who's, who's going to come is going to be in the power and the spirit of Elijah. And, and of course, to Zechariah as well, who grew up as a, in a pastor's family and perhaps knew, you know, had studied theology and he was serving there in the temple, right? So he knew a lot of this sort of stuff. And so when he hears that he's going to have a child who's going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, Zechariah too, his heart leaped. He's really excited about this. And so let me explain why they were so excited. Um, when Zechariah receives this, According to some Bible uh, scholars, they would say this was around the year 4 B.C. Others would say it was at the turn of the millennium, so around 1 A.D. So whichever time frame you look at, um, the, the point is that the last time, so this is in 4 B.C., 1 A.D., whichever, however you have it there. The last time 
that God has spoken a word of truth, a word of a prophetic word to his people has been over 400 years. Uh, between the ending of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, we have a period of over 400 years. When the Old Testament closes out with the book of Malachi and the New Testament opens up with the story of, uh, of Luke, that, that Luke reports here. Um, and, and so Malachi being, was a prophet of God. He was the last of the prophets that God uh, brought forward to the people of Israel. And he was operating in the 400s B.C. Since Malachi, there have been no prophets of God. That is, God has been silent, largely silent, uh, t- with regard to the Jewish people. No, nothing fresh, nothing new, no contemporary word from the Lord. Just the words of Malachi and those that had gone on before Malachi. Now, what's interesting is that Malachi's writings also constitute the end of the Old Testament. Malachi being the, chronologically the last prophet of God in the Old Testament era. His book represents the last book of the Old Testament. And so when you look at uh, Malachi as the last book of the Old Testament, the last thing that God has to say before the New Testament opens up, look at how Malachi closes out his final words. Again, these are the final words that God's going to speak for 400 years until Jesus shows up on the scene. And so here's the last thing he has to say, Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah. This is God speaking through Malachi. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Verse 6, last line of the Old Testament. 425 years of silence is going to follow. Verse 6, and Elijah will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Now that sounds familiar, doesn't it? That, that, that's the announcement that the angel is making to Zechariah, saying, hey, look, remember the last thing God said 425-plus years ago? That is coming to fruition right now, Zechariah. It's time. Um, and so before the Lord comes, before uh, God reveals himself, he will be preceded by the prophet Elijah. That's what that verse is saying there in verse 6. Who is Elijah? Elijah was the fellow in the Old Testament who got the con- into the contest with the prophets of Baal. He called down fire from heaven. The Lord sent down fire, consumed all the altar and the sacrifices and the water that he had poured on all those sacrifices. Elijah had long been considered by the Jewish people one of the greatest of the prophets of Israel. Um, And here Malachi announces that Elijah will return. Now, some Jewish people thought that meant that Elijah himself was going to return to the earth. Like physically, Elijah, because Elijah was one of the people in the Old Testament, there was just a handful, that were swept up before they ever, and up to heaven before they ever died. So they didn't have a burial for Elijah because there was no body to bury. Um, Elijah's body and Elijah were swept up into heaven before Elijah ever died. So there were some Jewish people who thought when Elijah returns, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, what it's talking about there, when Elijah returns, it's really going to be Elijah. Now, there were other Jewish people who thought, well, you know what, it's not going to be Elijah himself. Rather, it's going to be someone who is uh, in the spirit or is going to come in the spirit of Elijah, someone who will do things similar to what the prophet Elijah did. Basically, a continuation of the type of ministry that Elijah had. But the point is, notice this, who Elijah precedes. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So before God shows up, Elijah or someone operating in the spirit of Elijah will arrive. Now go back to Luke chapter 1 and verse 16. The announcement that the angel brings. The angel says to Zechariah, Your son will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Verse 17. And your son will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Why? To make ready for the Lord 
a people prepared. There's his purpose. There's John's mission. That's what he's going to be about. So God closes out the Old Testament telling the Jewish people to be on the lookout for the ministry of Elijah reborn, and that when Elijah appears, you can be assured that the Lord himself is not far behind. And so this is why it creates just excitement in Zechariah's heart and why the Jewish people who received Luke's letter are equally as excited that, yes, this is absolutely what we've been looking for for all of these years. If I'm a Jewish person living in the first century, that's what I just heard, that Elijah, the spirit of Elijah, or the person of Elijah, some would say, um, has literally been reborn, and he is now ministering uh, amongst us. Again, what is the point of this Elijah figure? End of verse 17, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Skip ahead with me to Zechariah's um, son, now named John the Baptist, as a full-grown man, and we'll see what, that John is doing exactly what the angel announced that John would do. Luke chapter 3, end of verse 2. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, verse 3, and he went into the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Last verse, verse 4. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So John does what the angel predicted he would do. He is preparing the people for the coming of their Christ, for the coming of the Messiah, for God walking into uh, our existence. John was not just the newest, the latest, the greatest preacher in town. No, John was a man on a mission. He was calling people to clear obstacles out of their lives, to prepare their heart and mind for the imminent, this is the way the Jewish people saw this, the imminent appearance of the Christ child. One more verse. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26 says, In the sixth month, that is in six months later, so we just read about the episode of Zechariah and being visited in the temple, told that he's going to have this baby. Six months later, six, um, in the sixth month, um, Mary gets visited by an angel, and she becomes pregnant with the Christ child, with baby Jesus. Now, in that part of the world, men were not allowed to speak in public, especially on religious matters, until their 30th birthday. So we have this guy preceding the Lord Jesus, who's been out there now doing ministry for six months, right? Preparing the hearts of people so that when Jesus, when God in the human in flesh walks out onto the scene, the people will be ready to receive him. Um, John was conceived six months ahead of Jesus, and so John begins his public ministry in advance of Jesus. Um, John the Baptist, the predicted son of two old folks, is miraculously born, and he's out there in the desert preaching and teaching, prepare the way of the Lord. That's his message. Prepare the way of the Lord. His coming is imminent. He's coming right behind me, folks. Not, not, not very long from now. We will see him arrive. All right, well, that's our text for today, and that makes, uh, that's time for us to stop and ask our most important question. What difference does all this make to my life? As I was thinking about this text, it reminded me of the Christmas carol, Joy to the World. Now, I'm not going to sing it for you this morning, but I'm just going to tell you one of the lines out of this song, and it's one that's familiar to you, and the line is, let every heart prepare him. Ah, you know the song as well. And so, uh, you know, as I was thinking about John the Baptist preparing the way, and I think about Joy to the World, and let every heart prepare him room. I'm like, that's what they're singing about. This is essentially John's message. And so I got to thinking, well, what does it mean, John, to prepare him room? What does it mean to prepare our hearts to receive the coming of this Messiah? Well, going back to John's message, he was out there in the desert encouraging people to repent. That is to admit that they have a sin problem. 
and that this is the first step to preparing our hearts to meet the Lord Jesus. Now, admitting that we have a sin problem, that's not a whole lot of fun. I mean, who wants to admit, right? Hey, yeah, I got, I got all kinds of problems, right? That's not necessarily fun to sit around and think about, not necessarily fun to talk about. Uh, but anyhow, that's what the Bible's calling us to do. That's what John was calling people to do, to repent, to think about our lives, to do some internal reflection and say, you know what? There are some things in my life where I fall short. There are some areas in my life where I have committed sins and where I've, where I've grieved God. And so um, that may, it may, we, may want to, we may want to hear God say to us, hey, you're, you're okay. You're, you're fine. Everything's fine. That may be what our itching ears want to hear, but that is not, friends, what the Bible declares. The Bible declares, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And friends, because that's the case, we need to admit that we have a shortfall. Remember the parable that Jesus told about the self-righteous Pharisee and the tax collector. Uh, there was these two guys, they went to the temple to make their prayer, prayers and sacrifices, and this Pharisee, he walks out in front of everybody, stands away from everybody, and he prays this prayer out loud for everybody to hear, and he prays Luke chapter 18, verse 11, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. <laughs> what a self-righteous, you know, guy here. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Verse 12, I fast twice a week. Uh, I give tithes of all that I get. And so this guy, he's just li listening for everybody to hear of all the things that he does, of all of his accolades, just building himself up, saying, hey, you know what, I'm God, God's, of course God's going to accept me. Look at all the good that I do. Look at, look at the goodness of, of my life. Look at the righteousness of my life. I'm so much better than all these other folks around here. Um, and then there's this poor tax collector off in the corner, a man who was despised by the Jewish people, a man who was partnering with the Roman occupying force to extort money out of his own people. And so this fellow, this tax collector, um, notice the difference in his approach to God. Notice the absence of his self-promotion. Notice the absence of his self-justifying. This guy admits that he has problems, verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off would not even get up close to the altar, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, it says, and he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Friends, this kind of spirit is the kind of spirit that John the Baptist is calling us to have. If we approach God as though we are too good for God, as that we have no need for God, friends, that is not preparing ourselves to meet the Lord. Jesus puts it this way, end of verse 14, for everyone who exalts himself like that pious, self-righteous Pharisee will be humbled. God's going to see to it. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That is, God will raise him up. God will encourage him. God will build him up. Friends, the way to God is not by listing off the reasons why God should accept us. The Pharisee tried that, and Jesus rebuked his attempt. Rather, the way to God is by humbling ourselves and admitting that despite our most fervent efforts, that we cannot obtain the level of goodness and righteousness that is required for acceptance. All we can do is to humble ourselves and ask for God's mercy on us, a sinner. Friends, when we do that, we are prepared to meet Jesus. Second step, how do we make ourselves ready? First of all, we admit that we have a sin problem. Second, we confess that Jesus is the solution to that sin problem. To say, you know what, I, I can't fix me. I can't do this. I can't take the sin that's stained in my heart and remove it. I, I know God, I recognize that you're holy, right? That's the eternal song of heaven, that God is holy, holy, holy. It's what he constantly, the angels in heaven are compelled to sing. 
It's God's preeminent characteristic, his preeminent feature that he is holy. And so I, I can't get to that level. Just no matter how much I try, I can't get to the level of where God is. And so we're saying, God, I'm here admitting that I can't fix this problem, admitting that I can't be good enough despite my very best efforts. And so here I am today, praying like the tax collector, God, have mercy on me. In other words, do for me, God, what I cannot do for myself. Friends, when we pray like that, we are really ready to meet Jesus. God sent his one and only son, Jesus, into the world. We're reminded of that every Christmas. And Jesus came, he lived a perfect life. He went to the cross as the perfect sacrifice, taking the hit that should have been yours and mine to take. Jesus sacrificed his own life on the cross. He died in our place. John chapter 3 and verse 16 says it this way, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but will have eternal life in heaven. God the Father sent God the Son as the solution to our sin problem that we could not fix. Friends, this is the gospel. It is not enough to admit that we have a sin problem only. The point is then to meet Jesus. John was pointing people to Jesus. He wasn't just calling people to repentance. I mean, if that's all that John did, then you have a bunch of people who are sorry about the things that they've done in their life. But then there's no forgiveness of sin. Then there's no opportunity to be made clean and righteous before God. If all we ever do is admit that we have a sin problem, but don't meet Jesus, then we are just as lost as that self-righteous Pharisee. John the Baptist's mission in life, friends, was to prepare people to meet Jesus. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, Romans 10 and verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Friends, God is, in his great providence, opened the Christmas story by announcing the birth not of the Christ child, not of the Lord Jesus himself, but by announcing the birth of a man who would go before the Christ child in the spirit and power of Elijah. These were God's first words in over 400 years. Nobody had heard from God for 400 years in a prophetic way. John's purpose, his mission, was to prepare the way of the Lord to get us ready to meet our Savior. This morning, I want to close out by giving you an opportunity. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to ask if you would just to pray silently where you're seated. Um, no one around you needs to hear that prayer. God is omniscient. He can hear your prayers. Um, and so you're praying to him. But just repeat the words after me as we pray. And if you want to receive Jesus Christ into your heart, into your life, you pray after me this morning. Let's bow our heads together. Most gracious God, I recognize that I am a sinner. That I have done things that have grieved your heart. And Lord, I stand before you today, or seated here before you today, sorry for what I have done. God, I recognize that I cannot erase the sin stain on my soul. I need something greater than me. Someone from, that has made a sacrifice on my behalf to come and cleanse me and take my place. Take the hit that I deserved. Jesus, I turn to you now. I thank you for going to the cross for me.
I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins, to wash me clean. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Or because I have turned to you today for the forgiveness of sins, I know that I am saved. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to gather around your word today. We thank you for this table which reminds us of your broken body and of your shed blood. God, um, as we enter into this Christmas season, may we all prepare our hearts. May we all make room for the Lord Jesus. May we all, Lord, find times um, in the coming weeks to just spend quietly before you, praying, allowing your Holy Spirit to stir and work in our hearts. Lord, if we would spend more time with you, if we would spend more time with you, you would make so much more out of the time that we spend trying to get things done and make things happen. Lord, we just commit to you this Christmas season. We ask that you would work in and through our lives. We pray all these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.